Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. This evening we're um, carrying on our series of Amazed by Jesus, and this evening we're we're thinking about his glory, Uh, and we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 9. Now we're going to be focusing on, uh, as printed there, verses 28 to 36, which is entitled, uh, The Transfiguration. Um, But just to help us with a bit of context, I'm going to read from a bit before then. Uh, I'm going to read from verse uh, chapter 9, verse 20. Um, so I'll read from chapter 9, verse 20, all the way to the end of 36. Uh, so this starts with Jesus with his uh, disciples asking uh, them a question. Then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him, um, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, the eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and no one in those um, days—sorry—and they they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. These are God's words to us. Uh, Would you please turn back to Luke chapter nine? So, um, glory and success, glory and success. That's. Often what we hope for, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the, the wonder of seeing um, Emma Raducanu 
uh, 18-year-old Brit, uh, win the U.S. Uh, women's final. It was, it was exciting, isn't it? Uh, it's glory. Or, or the dream of every child to play football for their country. Or, you know, reality TV from, from MasterChef to, to Love Island. All ways of seeking glory and fame. And it's so alluring, isn't it? I think often because our lives are so ordinary, you know, that the famous, the glorious, they don't, they don't have to wash any dishes. They don't have to go to the shops. They don't, I don't know, go to the toilet. It, it must all be wonderful. It's, a, it's obviously a ridiculous lie to believe, but we want to, don't we? We want the chance of, I don't know, life without problems, um, even though we, we know it's impossible And here in Luke's gospel, we get a glimpse of glory. Now, it's a glory that is, that is far greater, uh, than, than Emma winning the, the women's final. It's far greater than, you know, even Alex Ferguson's trophy cabinet. But yet, this is a glory that points us in a very unexpected direction, as we'll see. So let's get back into Luke chapter 9. Um, so Jesus, he, he's heading off up a mountain with Peter, James, and John. And uh, they're for a bit of quiet, some time to pray together. But things take a really strange turn. Do you know, the, the, the disciples, we find out a bit later, have fallen asleep, and Jesus is still praying. And as he does, verse 29 the appearance of his face was altered. Literally, his face was other. Okay, and then his, his clothes become kind of dazzling white. It's a little bit like l- l- lightning flashing through the sky. You know, bright like nothing else. You'd have to cover your eyes. Like, this is w- weird, isn't it? Like, it's a, a weird event. But there in, in verse 32, Luke tells us what we're seeing. But when they came fully awake, they saw his glory. They saw his glory. This is Jesus' glory being revealed. It's, it's kind of this physical showing. It's a visual kind of manifestation of something awesome about him. Okay, it's, it's a glory in a sense that shines through his human body somehow. It transforms the fabric that he was wearing even. And, and this isn't just a glory that even all humans, you know, Christians might have in the future. Okay, although we're, we're told the two men who appear with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, have a glory too. Jesus, he's not the same. You know, that's one of the problems with Peter. You may have thought, what is Peter doing about these tents? Um, well, he's kind of treating all three of them the same. He's like, let's get three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for, uh, for Elijah. He, he's treating them the same, like for like. But no, God comes in this cloud of glory later on, resting on the disciples to show them Jesus is not the same. Do you notice that in verse 35? And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Jesus is unrivaled. This is a glory on a whole different level. This is divine glory. It's the first thing I want us to see this evening. Jesus is revealing here a divine 
glory. A glory that shows, just glimpses his awesome majesty, his power, his holiness, the wonder of God himself. Jesus, he's, he's not some wandering teacher who, who just lived and died 2,000 years ago. Now he was that, but he was so much more. This is, this is God himself. This is the awesome creator of the universe. The sovereign ruler, the omnipotent, all-knowing, infinite one, living as a human being. It, it wasn't that most of the time Jesus was kind of godlike, you know, a man kind of especially blessed by God. No, Jesus was always fully God, God the Son, infinite in power and glory. He didn't diminish in power or glory as he, as he took on human form. As he walked up the mountain before this moment, and as he walked down afterwards, he was always the infinite, eternal, glorious God. But yet somehow he veiled it. Perhaps think of it a bit like the sun behind the clouds. You know, most of the time in Aberdeen, the sun is behind the clouds. Um, we, we kind of know it's up there, and, and supposedly it's hot and it's shining, but we can't see it. But then the, the cloud breaks, and we feel it. We feel its warmth. It isn't that it's just started to shine when the clouds move. It's that we're only experiencing it when it does, when they do. And similarly with Jesus, he walked, and he talked, and he ate, and he slept, and he he veiled his glory. It didn't mean that it wasn't there. No, this glimpse on the mountain shows it was always there. A glory that, that couldn't be contained by creation. It's totally other. It's magnificent. You know, Luke, and along with Matthew and Mark, when they uh, describe this moment, it just feels like they're kind of reaching for, for words that, that, that they don't know quite how to do this moment justice. You know, no wonder Peter, when he woke up, said, it's good that we are here. Like, what a sight to behold. No wonder as the disciples walked down after the event, they were, they were silent. They were dumbstruck, utterly in awe. All their categories, all their understanding was kind of blown out of the water. They weren't quite sure how to put it back together. Jesus revealing his divine glory. I think we get so used to it, but it's extraordinary, isn't it? This is, is this the Jesus you and I believe in? Was he just a man who had good teaching or was he and is he the eternal son of God? One whose majesty was so great it could transform his appearance. Is he worthy, therefore, of your worship, your obedience, your love, your life? When, when God spoke in the cloud, did you hear what he said? He said his command was this, listen to him. Listen to him. No wonder, this is God in human form, a man who, who understands all things unlike any other. Do you listen to him or do you, or do you listen to him like he's just a voice across many? You know, we put him up against perhaps Buddha or, or Jordan Peterson, Stephen Fry even, or, or put him up against yourself. Well, well I like what he says here. But I think I know, I know better here. But this is no ordinary teacher. This isn't some kind of guru. Jesus had divine glory. 
the glory of God. We listen to him. Jesus revealed his divine glory. But I, I want to let Luke take us a bit further. Okay, I want him to, to let him push us a bit deeper. Because if this is true, why is Jesus showing us his glory at this moment? Why now? Why the transfiguration at this point? Well, simply, it's this. Everything about this moment, this transfiguration, is, is pointing us towards what Jesus came to do. His showing of his glory and even his veiling of his glory, it's all pointing to Jesus' cross, resurrection, and ascension. It's pointing forward to a future moment and actually even a future glory, as we'll see. Now, for shorthand, I'm going to slim down the cross, resurrection, and ascension into, into the cross. But as I do that, don't, don't forget the others. But, but firstly, I want us to see that this is a cross-pointing glory. Okay, a cross-pointing glory. Okay, notice what's happened up until now. Okay, this, this is why I read for a bit before. Just before this moment, Jesus has been teaching his disciples. Okay, so back in verse 18... Jesus asks disciples who they think he is, and we, and we get this glorious moment in verse 20 where he says he's the Christ. Or Peter says he's the Christ, but straight after that, Jesus takes them onto a new, a new path of understanding. And it's this, he's got to die, verse 22. He will be killed and then rise again. So Jesus heading to his death is front and center as we walk up the mountain with him. But then, when this amazing change happens, we get this moment, it's a strange one again, isn't it? Moses and Elijah appear. Okay, now there's lots we could talk about this. Again, it's a weird thing going on, isn't it? But, but notice a little detail of what they chat about. Luke, um, he doesn't need to tell us this, but if you look at verse 30, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of what? Of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Jesus' departure. That's what they talked about. Now, often that word refers to, to death. Uh, Peter himself uses it that way in one of his letters. So they're chatting about Jesus heading to the cross. But it's more than that. It's all that he's to fulfill at Jerusalem, all that he's to accomplish. That word you'll notice from the footnote for, for departure is, act, is literally the word exodus. This is Jesus's exodus. This is his moment of his death and his resurrection and ascension, his great moment of freeing, freeing people from slavery to sin and to death. In this moment of glory, it's pointing us to the cross. It's a cross-pointing glory. It's like Jesus is saying to his disciples, look what's about to happen in Jerusalem. It really matters. It matters so much. I'm going to give you a glimpse of my glory to prove it. It's like an official stamp pressed onto what he said. I've said I'm going to die and rise again. Here's my, my seal to show I mean it. What I'm going to do to rescue this world is massive. But the question may still leave us with, well, okay, 
we kind of get him showing his glory points this way, but why didn't he show this his entire ministry? Well, it's not only it's a cross-pointing glory, it's also a cross-pointing veil. Let me explain. One of the extraordinary moments in this whole event, I think, is verse 36. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. He was found alone. Notice that the moment ended. The, the revelation stopped. His, his face was normal. His clothes didn't shine anymore. There was, there was no cloud. There was no Moses. There was no Elijah. In a sense that the clouds have covered up the sun again. Okay, Jesus wasn't uh, going to carry on revealing himself in this way. That's why he didn't take a Peter's offer of three tents. I wonder if Peter was actually trying to make the moment last. You know, let's put some tents up and then this whole glory event can keep going and keep going and keep going. Why stop it, Jesus? Let's keep going. But Jesus wasn't going to keep it going. Something was more important than that. Something had to be done. What was it? Verse 31, what he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem, what he was about to fulfill. Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. Luke's gospel is actually going to take a massive uh, focus shift. If you have a look at verse 51, it's kind of a turning point in the gospel. 51 of chapter 9. And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's his focus. That's where he's heading. And there's no way. There's no way he could accomplish it, if you think about it, if he's radiating his full glory. Like, who's going to arrest him? Who's going to put him on trial and execute him if he's displaying his full glory in the way he did on the mountain? No one would come near. Now, it's not that the the clouds will always cover him. There's a future glory that's awaiting him, but it has to go via the cross. The resurrection comes after his death. Or as one person put it, his triumphant laurel grew upon the thorns of his cross. So not only is Jesus' glory pointing to this cross, but his veil is too. This hiding of glory, it's all for that purpose. The whole mission goes via the cross. So let's piece this together. What is Luke showing us about Jesus' glory? What Jesus revealed on that mountain before the disciples, it's only part of the story. They weren't there just to see his present glory. He wanted them to know there's a glory to come. A future glory. Later in, in, in Luke, um, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he said, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? In other words, there's a, a glory that comes after the suffering. Here Jesus shows us it's a divine glory, but he's saying there's a, there's a cross-shaped gl- glory to come. He, he have a glory that's going to glisten not only because of, of his divinity, but because of the shadow of the cross behind it. it it's not that Jesus, he, he can't increase in glory as God. He's, he's internally infinite in glory. No, no it's that Jesus is the, the God-man, fully human, being glorified of what he does. Jesus in glory right now is, he's shining with a cross 
brightened glory. You can tell I'm struggling to, to kind of reach for words for this. But just think, let's just think of what his death and resurrection achieved. Okay, it's perhaps helpful to think of it through that lens of, of what are called Jesus' offices, his, his prophet, priest, and king. Just think, he sits right now in a priestly glory. He destroyed destroyed the power of sin in his body as he he bore sin in his body on the cross its curse was taken its power was stripped forgiveness courses through his people like us justice was satisfied sin taken as far as the east from the west the great high priest he's he's seated why because his work is done it's done to the uttermost And, and not only is he in a priestly glory he's in a kingly glory right now As sin was defeated, the the powers and forces of evil were made impotent. No accusations, no victory for them. Christ is victor. He conquered death itself. Death could not hold him. It will not win. He is king in a kingly glory. And and he grows his kingdom in a prophetic glory. He, He points us to God's love, his faithfulness, to God's wisdom and power and holiness. How? By showing us the cross, he teaches of it, us of it through his word as it's, it's preached. And in, in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, it's a, it's a cross brightened. It's a cross enriched glory that he shines with. Jesus is glorious. Glory in his divine majesty, yes. But also glorious in what he did. Because of his divine majesty. His divine majesty leads to this, this cross brightening glory. Only a perfect human could be a sacrifice for us. Only a human who is also God could bear the weight of our sins. Buy his people out of slavery. Only a, a divine human could, could bring, uh, bring us by his spirit to everlasting life. So what Jesus did here is utterly unique. Some, sometimes people might say that Jesus, that he's just an example of self-sacrifice. That's all he is. That's all the cross is. It's just an example. We copy it. Now we'll see in a moment it is an example. But that's at the end. There is so much more. There's so much that is unique about our Savior. You know, when, when an ordinary sinful human dies, we do not take the sins and the penalty of many other people on ourselves and rise again a few days later to then ascend to heaven, do we? No. Jesus is our Savior. This is a unique, cross-enriched glory for Jesus alone. And doesn't it fuel our worship? You know, our, our hymn that we're going to sing at the end, I wonder it has six verses. Okay, I, I reckon the writer probably could have gone on and on and on. So much to sing about. There's so much to praise him for. You know, as we saw in in Revelation uh, back at Easter, this is what eternity is going to be. It's going to be praising the slain lamb sitting on the throne. We will see this divine and cross-brightened glory and we will not get bored of it. We won't think we're done and what's next. We won't want an upgrade or an uplift. The facets and faces of this glory will lead us in awe and worship and wonder forever and ever and ever. It fuels our worship. But not only does this fuel our worship, it it builds our trust. Right now, 
Right now, Christ's glory, although it's other, although it's magnificent and unique and mind-blowing, it's, it's also close somehow. Jesus went to glory via suffering. He had a path to walk. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He was abandoned, humiliated, tortured, and murdered. This, this cross-brightened glory is a glory that has human scars. It's a glory with tear stains and blood drops. When we approach the throne of grace, the glorious one was tempted as we are, suffered as we do, felt pain and bled. Jesus is, is distant, yes, he's in a heavenly glory. He's not here on earth in person, but he's, he's not unapproachable. That's why he came, that's why he died. He comes to us by his spirit, he shows us his scars, and he says, trust me, trust me, I, I love you. I came for you, I'm with you. Are there there parts of your life that you can't even come to Jesus with? Are there past scars, present fears, future worries? I know in my own life there's been times when I've I've just kind of got on with things, thinking I'm going to be okay, you know, and that the pressure kind of heats up, the stress inside builds. Am I on my knees? No, no. Do it alone. Jesus doesn't need to hear about this. You know, he's got bigger fish to fry. But how wrong, how foolish. As that beautiful hymn says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And and when I do, now my situation may not change, the pain I endure or the pressures I face may still be there, but his, his closeness, this, this cross-brightened glory of Christ somehow reaches down, doesn't it? There is safety in the hands of our glorified Jesus. So seeing Christ's glory, it, it fuels our worship, it builds our trust, and lastly, it, it shapes our lives. It shapes our lives. For, for Jesus, the, the path through the cross was always the plan. Okay? It, it, was, it was to be fulfilled and accomplished. He set his face towards it. His glory and his veil all pointed towards it. Jesus' Jesus's death wasn't an inconvenience. He wasn't embarrassed by it. He, he suffered before he was glorified. And yet, somehow, we imagine our own lives should be cross-free. That for, for us, it must be different. You know, our glory, it comes without a cross. We, we just go from here to heaven, plain sailing, easy. But remember the context. Okay? Not only was Jesus heading to the cross, but he called his disciples, verse 23, to deny himself take up their cross daily and follow him. As we've seen, Jesus' path was unique, and yet it also sets a pattern. It's a path that his followers walk too. We don't walk it to save the world like him, but somehow our lives 
reflect his life. Our lives are actually one of cross and glory, death and life, pointing to him. You know, we we deny ourselves, we die to ourselves, and somehow, as we do, we find ourselves. As As we serve others, somehow we experience life in that. As we give up our dreams for the good of others, within that pain there's something beautiful growing. We walk the path of a cross-brightened, glorious Savior. Now for some of us, I hope that is great comfort to know, to know that in the pain there is life. That in the cross, there's Christ's glory. And yet for some of us, we, th- we think it, we should be different, don't we? we? We look to our friends and neighbors. You know, th- th- just on Facebook this week, I saw an old friend of York sitting on a beautiful beach in sunny Greece enjoying ice cream. And we think, you know, why not me? You know, we, we see others with a better health and a, I don't know, obedient children, better looks, well-paid job, and think... Lord, why not me? Where's my glory? Where's my success? And God quietly points us to his son. Because yours is his path. Yours is suffer than glory. I just need to read the letters of Paul to see he experienced this deeply. Seems often his ministers and particularly missionaries experience this in a deep way, but it's something we all do. Death and resurrection, cross and glory patterned onto our lives. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. We let, we let his glory capture our hearts as we, we wake up tomorrow to what life may bring. As we struggle on, we We walk with our Savior. We walk his path. It's a path of cross and glory, but it's also towards, towards a future glory. Do you remember how Moses and Elijah were described? Verse 31, they're also in glory. They had reached, in a sense, a future glory. The the cross is not the path forever because it wasn't the path always for Jesus. He now stands in glory. A divine glory, a cross bright and glory, and he he will return to do the same for us, his church, to restore all things to a new glory, a glory that comes through his cross, his resurrection. We wait, don't we? We wait, but we wait with hope. We wait with hope because of who he is, who he is, this divine Savior. Amen.